you would, turn in the Bible to John chapter 1. We're moving right along through the gospel now. We've gotten to today, we're going to look at verse 9, 9 through 13. Before we get into it, I want to uh, let you guys know that tonight's going to be a special night here at church. We don't do this often, but we have been spending the month of February uh, teaching and providing resources for our church on parenting. There's so much to cover there and to talk about and to discuss, and we want that to be a help. And uh, tonight we're going to do something different. We're going to have all of our, our pastors up here and just do a question and answer the whole night. Uh, at our 6 o'clock service tonight, it's an opportunity for you to raise your hand and, and ask anything. So it'll be very different. But if you have uh, any thoughts about parenting, what it's like with kids or grandkids or teenagers or whatever else, we want to, to help you. I'll go ahead and tell you right now, we, we, we may not have the answer. We don't have many of the answers uh, but we do want to be pastor shepherds to, to you all and help you think through things um, as God is doing this great work here in Fairdale and South Louisville and even in our church where there are lots of young people around and lots of them in our families and lots in our church. And we praise God for that. That's, that's unique if you talk to many people um, around the world and you, around the country and, and involved in churches. We've got a special thing going on here we don't want to take that for granted. We want to be good stewards and responsible with what God has given us. And so tonight at 6 o'clock, it's be a special service, question and answer around the subject of parenting. All right, now we're at John chapter 1. And uh, we did an intro a couple weeks ago, preached from John 1, and we're going to walk through all of it. You may have noticed that last week we stopped at verse 5, and today we're starting at verse 9. I want you to see that. We don't skip, we don't skip passages, uh, but I've already preached on the, John the Baptist. I did that a lot in the intro, and then just a couple weeks before that, I preached a whole sermon on John the Baptist. So t- we're not going to cover verses 6 through 8. We've covered those in two different messages in the past month, okay? So if, you, if you're wanting more on John the Baptist or you weren't here that day, that's online. You can go listen. You can watch it. We've covered a lot of being a witness and the... Uh, John the Baptist's ministry and even what it says later in John. So today we're skipping six through eight, not because we don't want to deal with it, but because we already have, and we're gonna start at verse nine. And as you can see in your bulletin, the title of the sermon is Life Change or Real Life Change and the Need for Conversion. In the church and with our message and our preaching and, and trying to be faithful Bible teachers, These are some of the truths that we have to communicate. People need to come to know Jesus. We don't naturally know him. We need to come to faith. We need to turn from our sins. We need to be born again. We need to become Christians. We need to get saved. We need to move our lives in that direction as we know that God is working in and through us. And this is important. I remember several years ago when I was in my 20s, I loved playing basketball. I think at that stage of my life, uh, when you're free as a bird, you just try to play basketball every night, or at least I did. We were everywhere. Now, as I've been thinking about this, we didn't have texting back then, and so who knows how we got everybody together. It seems impossible now without texting. I don't know how that happened. I don't know how you gathered up 10 people to play basketball, but somehow we did, and I remember being at this church one Monday or Tuesday night playing basketball, just pick up basketball, playing, playing, and I ran into a guy that I knew from middle school, high school, way back in the day. And I'll never forget, it still haunts me and encourages me that he said to me, What's happened to you, Josh? It haunts me because there must have been things about me he remembered that were not honoring to God. We all have that in our past. If you think back to your elementary and middle school years and high school years, there are times when you have not represented God the way you should. And it haunts me that even years later, he remembered that about me. It encourages me, though, because at that stage of my life in my 20s, he finally did see and notice. Now, we, haven't, we had not talked in many, many years. But he noticed enough of a change in me that he asked, what's gotten into you? And we were buddies, and we caught up pretty good, and it was, it was a fun time. We were playing basketball. But I remember at least expressing to him that Jesus had gotten a hold of my life, and God was working in me. The Bible teaches us that that's what God does in people, He gets at work inside of you and your heart, convicts you of your sin, kind of breaks you down and making you aware that you need him. You can't do this on your own. You're not the solution. And he builds you back up. He doesn't leave you beat down. He builds you back up in faith and trusting in Christ, looking to God, and gives you a heart that says, I want to honor God. 
And today in our passage from John chapter one, we want to see that this is clearly the teaching here in the prologue. We've already spent a couple of weeks recognizing that John 1, 1 through 18 is this special, special introduction to the book of John. In it, it's all about Jesus. But as it is all about Jesus, we get this little section here that's still all about Jesus that is really emphasizing the need for conversion, how God changes people's lives. This morning, I want you to think long and hard and think deeply about, have you come to Christ? Have you asked him to save your soul, make you new? Do you believe him and follow him? Do you want God to be honored in your lives? If that's not you, then do it today. Commit to Christ. If that's not you, then take that step, make that move. Not because we told you to, but because you really sense and feel that even getting involved in church and hearing the word preached is, is, is the means that God is using to draw you to himself. We come here on Sundays longing that the very work that God would be doing in me and in you is drawing us to make him the most important thing in our lives. May he do that today as we study John 1, 9 through 13. Read with me, starting in John 1, verse 9. The true light, that's Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This whole prologue is loaded with truth, but these verses here have a lot to teach us. Three simple points this morning for you kids with the listening pages, for you adults that are taking notes. Number one, people are not naturally children of God. I hope this doesn't rock your boat. You're not born a Christian. You have to become a Christian. We are born as people that sin. Sin is passed down to us. To be human is to be a sinner. And therefore, we have separated ourselves from God and the relationship with God is no longer existent. We need to come to know him. People are not naturally children of God. What we know from the teaching of the Bible and what we see by the uh, human beings just living out from, from, from our own good will or our own good reasoning or our own bondage of the will, however you want to describe it, is that the world does not know Jesus. Let me show you here in just a few verses. In describing Jesus, who is the light, he already introduced that in verse four. He brings him up again because John in his witness is a witness to the light. John was not the light. He points people to the light. Jesus is the only true light in a world of darkness. Jesus gives light to everyone. Jesus was coming into the world. He wasn't in the world, but he came into the world by way of the Virgin Mary through the, through the birth. He took on flesh, as verse 14 says. He became a human in doing that, though, verse 10 says he was in the world and he was the maker of the world. The world was made through him. That's how important Jesus is. But look at verse 10, yet the world did not know him. The world does not know him. Unless you've come to know him, you don't know him. The Bible says you may know things about him and how much influence for better or worse you've had in your life you know some things about him. Most people in our culture, in our setting here in Kentucky, know some things about God. Most people think they know some things about God, and a lot of it's really, 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 really not accurate. We hear people misquote God all the time, live ways about God that aren't true. They know things about God, but they don't know him. Notice that it says here in verse 10, although he made the world and although he came into the world, the world did not know him. Look at verse 11, says it a little bit differently. He came to his own, okay? He came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. 
We see these truths here in, in John 1, 9 through 13, making us recognize that there's a lot to be known about Jesus, but then there's also being in a relationship with him that says that you really, really know them. I mean, think about in our day, somebody says, hey, do you know such and such? And you say, well, I mean, I know who he is, and I, I mean, I know that he works there. I know that he's involved with that, but I don't know him, know him. If we ran into each other on the street, it would, we, we know that language, right? The Bible is trying to help us see that, that, that in our time with our families, I mean, you show up to church, you know some things about him. Hopefully, we are preaching the word to you, and that's helping you know some truths about God. But have you come to know him? Is he yours, and are you his? Do you have a relationship with him? Have you surrendered, cried out? Do you talk to him? Do you know him? Has he forgiven you? People are not naturally naturally like this, that has to happen. Here's a helpful way for you to think about it. God is not the father of everyone. That's what the Bible teaches. God is not the father of everyone. Now listen, God is fatherly to everybody. Good to them, takes care of them, provides for them, woke you up, blessed you with things. He's fatherly to everybody, even people that are cursing him. God is fatherly to them, but he's not the father. The Bible teaches that God's not your father, and the Bible teaches that only coming to him for forgiveness of sins through faith in what Christ has done, his son, that you enter into his family and he becomes your father and you become his child. So if that's not happened, then he's not your father, you're not his child. You, you don't know God. People are not naturally children of God. This is an important distinction for us to understand. Verse 10 says the world doesn't know him. Verse 11 says they didn't receive him. We're not naturally children of God. Now, John is so good that I'm going to be able to use so much of John, and I, I'm kind of torn on whether I should do this or not. But turn over with me to chapter 3. I want you to look at verse 18 and listen to how it describes it here. This is getting back to using the language of light and darkness. But it's going to make this point yet again. I could say that Jesus is making this point throughout the whole gospel of John. You have to come to know him. Look at John chapter 3, starting in verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Now stop there for a second. How, how could you be a child of God and be condemned? That doesn't go together. You, you can't be. You can't say you're a child of God and you're condemned. If you're a child of God, there's no, no longer any condemnation. You've been forgiven. But this is the words of Jesus right here saying, if you believe, you're not condemned. If you don't believe, you're condemned already. But keep going. It gets even clearer. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Stop there for just a second. This is just one of the many ways that the Bible describes sin. You may not love all darkness, but you love some darkness in your life, and that is the truth. You may not like every single bit of darkness, and, and really what happens in humanity, this is what's really ugly about all of us, is that I hate the darkness in you, but I'll hide the darkness in me and just kind of relish in it. I don't want you to know my secrets. You don't want me to know your secrets. But somebody else you know, reveals their darkness, and we will be judgmental toward them. That's why the Bible teaches to not be that way. We don't, we don't make a big deal about the speck in somebody else's eye. we got a plank in our own eye. This is what God teaches. And if we, you and I will get faithful to what the Bible says and really commit to it and be Bible readers and believers and listen to preaching, God will really go to work in us and purify us from the inside out, and we will start to rightly reflect him in the world. But the truth is, is that people love darkness. Maybe not all of it. I know there's some big, ugly sins that you hate out there, and you would never do that, I know. But every one of us have some sins in our lives. There's darkness. And so, look here. People love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. All of us have done evil works in our lives. I hope they're fewer and fewer. But there's nobody here today that's going to say, no, no, I've never done evil no darkness in me. I mean, I, I am the light. I'm all good. No, you don't think that way. I sure hope not. And this is Jesus teaching us this. 
Verse 20, he keeps going. He says, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. And so since we're not children of God and we know that God is all about the goodness and the light and exposing sin, if you've not come to him, you don't want him to. You don't want to go to church for it might be brought up. You don't want to be around somebody who's pointing you to the truth that might be brought up. You don't want to be around somebody that doesn't do those things. It might be brought up. Like You don't want those things exposed. And so you say, out of sight, out of mind, or keep the closet door closed or let's not deal with that. I don't want anybody to know about what's going on in my life. And that is just one of the many ways of saying that we've not come to know God. The Bible describes coming to know God like putting a bright shining light on your darkness and you go and here I am God. You see it all. You know my meanness, you know my judgmental, you know my pride, you know my foul mouth, you know my lust, you know all of the things about me, God, and I surrender it all to you. The light is exposing every bit of the darkness in me, and I'm coming to you now, believing that you still love me, and you forgive all of this, and it's because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But in order for that to be true, you have to be recognizing that you are not naturally a child of God and that your sins have kept you from God. Look at verse 21 here in John 3. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The Christian is absolutely a sinner, but a sinner who's willing in all humility to be open about, I'm broken and sinful, but God forgives me through Christ. The Christian, the true Christian is not the one saying they don't sin or they're not that bad. The Christian knows that their sins have separated them from God. They weren't children of God because of their sins and then they've been forgiven and they have become children of God. We must, must teach this. The lost have to be found. The dead have to be made alive. The sinful have to be forgiven. These are all the ways the Bible describes your lostness and you not being a child of God. I mean, these are just terms that the Bible uses. There's a song that's real popular in our culture that every one of you all know. I bet every one of you all know it by heart. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a what? A wretch. Faithful Bible teaching right there in a song that you're a wretch. There's a lot of people that like that song, but they don't believe that they're a wretch. The Bible says that we've all sinned against God. We're not naturally his children. It's not our natural move to honor him. We're more inclined to dishonor God than we are to honor him. James Boyce, speaking about this type of teaching being put forth from the Bible, what, I'm, what I am saying today, that people did not know him, people did not receive him, this is right, receive him, John 1.10, John 1.11. Listen to what James Boyce says. The gospel is not just a new possibility for achieving joy and fullness in this life, as some seem to suggest. It is not just a solution to what were previously troublesome and frustrating problems. It is rather something much deeper than that, he, that has been done, something relating to God on the basis of which and only on the basis of which these other blessings of salvation follow. Then Boyce quotes J.I. Packer. He says, the gospel does bring a solution to these problems. It does by first solving the deepest of all human problems, the problem of man's relation with his maker. And unless we make it plain that the solution of these former problems depends on the settling of this latter problem, we are misrepresenting the message and becoming false witnesses of God. I think you get involved with church and becoming a Christian and doing Christian things is gonna be better for you and it'll solve a whole world of problems. I think so. The Bible teaches you to be honest. The Bible teaches you to say thank you. The Bible teaches you to save your money. The Bible teaches you to humble yourself and shut your mouth and be quick to hear and slow to speak. The Bible's got all sorts of help for you. But if you don't realize you're not a child of God and you need to surrender to Jesus to become a child of God, then we ain't really helping anybody. And that's the truth. You wash your mouth out with soap and go straight to hell. 
You'll clean up the outside and never deal with the inside. The Bible says we're not children of God, that we don't know Jesus and we've got to come to know him. You know, we've been talking a lot about parenting here over the last month, several resources, posting things online, sermons, we've done a lot. It's real important in parenting that children be taught that they sin against God. It's not cute when kids sin. It's not okay when kids sin. It should never be simply dismissed of kids being kids. Kids need to come to know Jesus. Kids need to come to know God. Kids need to understand that they don't know God and we need to teach them that. That's the loving and rightful thing to say. Number one, people are not naturally children of God, but we're not stopping there, and I hope none of y'all need to leave right now at 11.40 because there's a lot more to say. Number two, people can become children of God. Hallelujah. This is why the Gospel of John and the prologue of John are really so good for us. This is why I'm glad that you're here. This is why I'm glad you're reading the Bible and finding out because while the Bible does want to clearly communicate to you, you are not a child of God, it also comes right back and says, but you can be. Don't leave here today saying, he just wore us out, buddy. He thinks we are pathetic. Now, I want you to know God loves you in such a way that he wants you to commit to Christ right now and follow him. He wants you to live in his love. He wants you to know everything's forgiven. He wants you to decide to follow Jesus and commit to him. He wants you to know life change, real life change. Number two, people can become children of God. Look at verse 12. Back to John 1. This is our passage. Verse 11 says he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Verse 12, but... But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If God uses First Baptist Fairdale and our preaching for anything in your life, in your home, may it be that primarily, most important, it is this. You can become a child of God. If you will first admit you're not one and then come to him by faith, you can become a child of God. I, I really don't see why any of us would not commit to Christ today and say, yes, I want to be a child of God. You can receive him. And here, by the use of the word all, we are to be encouraged that many do. God is saving people now all over the place. Churches are growing. God is on the move. The kingdom is advancing. There are places in the world and places in our city where God is doing so many things. But to all who did receive him, may that be you. Here's how you receive him. Very simply, who believed in his name. The name of Jesus, the name represents who you are and what you do. Name represents your character. Name represents your message, who you are, what you're about. A name is your reputation and the message that your life represents and sends who all who believe in Jesus, who he is and what he's done. The God man that came to us, took on flesh, lived a sinless life, taught people well, loved people well, was rejected, was not received, was taken to the cross, was murdered, crucified, hated, opposed, mocked, rejected, and killed on the cross, buried in the grave, and three days later came back to life so that everybody would know he reigns. He is the one, one with all the power, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. That man, Jesus, did that for you and because of your sins. And if you will believe in him, receive him, God will give you the right to be his child. That is exactly what the Bible says. You know, all week long, I've been sitting here thinking about, man, this is just so straightforward and I, I don't have any illustrations. In all of my notes right now, I got no jokes, no stories, I got nothing. And I'm sitting here going, they're gonna hate it. They're gonna think it's boring. They're gonna think I'm not cool. They're gonna think all this stuff, right? And you know what God just kept like impressing upon me all week long? If they don't like this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God. It's like God kept reminding me, if they don't like that, then you don't want them to like you for another reason. What a verse. You can become a child of God. 
This is why Christian ministry and all the things that we do, this is why we labor, this is why we give people rides home, this is why we help people, this is why we pass out food, this is why we go to schools, this is why we pray our eyes out, because anybody anywhere can simply call on Jesus and become a child of God. You may have shown up today going, man, I'm not sure where I'm at with this, I've been baptized before, I've fallen out, fell back, come back up and down, man, I'm not really sure where I'm at, but here's the good news. You can be right with God today by calling on his name and saying, yes, Jesus, you are everything to me. I I know that this was done for me. I know that you will forgive my waywardness and I come to you. When we receive Jesus, when we call on his name, God is working in us, either making us for the first time initially his children or by getting us right to be his children. Now here's the reality. This second truth, this this point, that you can become a child of God, It just does not mean very much, truly, if you don't believe the first truth that we talked about. If you don't think you're lost, dead, sinful, all that, if you don't think you're not a child of God, then this is just kind of in one ear and out the other, not a big deal to me. I'm just trying to be the best person I can be, Josh, and let's throw Jesus' name on it, and that's the type of Christianity I have. That's the truth, and that's what's very frustrating to us at times when people live that way. If you don't think that you're not a child of God and lost in your sins, then it's not a big deal to you about becoming a child of God. But if you realize that you're lost and you need Christ, and then you see how accessible he is because of the cross, you love this. We love this. You can become a child of God. You can be his. You can be in his family. There's a whole big category in the Bible called adoption. That's just another way that God explains salvation. You're not in his family, but he'll receive you into his family. God does that. Adoption's a beautiful thing, and God uses that. God's not your father, but he'll welcome you into his family. He'll become your father. You're not his son, but he'll welcome you into his family. He'll start calling you his son and daughter. It's beautiful. For God to adopt you, though, you have to know that you weren't, and it's your sins that have separated, and so you repent. I know I'm asking you to turn a lot today, but I want you to see this. In Galatians chapter 4, look how it says it. All of this stuff is throughout the Bible. That's why John 1 is so good with this prologue because it's just introducing these subjects to us. Look at Galatians chapter four, speaking about this idea. Galatians four, verses eight and nine. Formerly, when you did not know God, he's writing a letter to a church. This is a letter written to church people, and he says, remember, you used to not know God. That was the first point today. You were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. You lived for things that weren't even the truth, that weren't even about God, that weren't even worth living for. You were into self and name and image and pride and goals and trophies and love from the wrong places. You're into false gods, like all these things that aren't to be the most important thing in your life is what you were into. He's talking to them. Verse 9. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again? And see, you see what he's saying? You used to not know God, and you've come to know God. That's the first two points today, and Galatians 4, 8, and 9 says it. When verse 12 says, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, believing in his name means that you have come to recognize your loss and sinfulness and you have turned from sin into God. That's this big word, repentance, that the Bible uses about turning. Your life's going this way and you turn away from whatever it is. Maybe you're into working hard. Maybe you're into family trees. Maybe you're into whatever, but you turn away from that to get yourself focused on God. See, our lives are are lost and sinful even with all of these good things in them because we don't have God on on, on the forefront. And all of these things may not be wrong in of themselves, but these things are keeping us from God or we're not focused on God. And so turning is repenting and turning to God. We must get this right. I I wasn't a child of God. I needed to become a child of God. And so we repent. I recently read a book, one of the books that I've read in this new year. Listen to this quote on repentance. He says, you must bear in mind that repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, does, listen, 
with grief and hatred of his sin, turn from it and turn to God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. The true repentance is when you are guilty, bothered, hating the sin in your life. And so you turn to God to find the solution for it. He goes on, he says, the more deeply a man feels his guilt, his weakness, and his desert of punishment, the sooner he will flee to the crucified lamb of God. If you're here today and you ain't that bad, you don't need Christ, you think. But if you're here today and you're fully aware of the sin in your life, you know you need a savior and the Bible comes so beautifully written, you can receive him by believing in what he's done for you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has an outstanding quote. Listen to it. If you board the wrong train, it is of no use running along the corridor in the other direction. Pastor Rich out of New York City says, in, in regards to this way of thinking, repentance then means getting off the train and going the other way. If your life's going that way, without the Lord Jesus in it, on a train, and inside that train, you're running as hard as you can this way, you're not getting anywhere. You would eventually have to get off the train and say, I need to go that way. You need to redirect your life to God. In 2 Corinthians 5, the passage that, that Jake read earlier, it's talking about reconciliation, just another subject, a, a, a category that the Bible uses to speak about our need for salvation and, and life change, being reconciled to God, coming back into a good relationship with God. It's, it's really a good word to use. But what I like about 2 Corinthians 5, that's the passage that says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. We love that verse. That's that passage. But what I really like about this section, after he explains what, what we're talking about today, he says this, we implore you, be reconciled to God. This morning, we implore you, be reconciled to God. Be forgiven of your sins. Run to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Renew your commitment to Christ. Surrender all. People are not naturally children of God. People can become children of God. Look back to John chapter one. Verse nine says that the light came into the world. Verse 10 says that while he was in the world and he made the world, the world did not know him. Verse 11 says he came to his own. His own people did not receive him. But verse 12 says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Listen, this is the very work that we want to be about. This is the very ministry and discipleship that we need to be involved with. This is the very thing that you want to have personal in your life. I have turned to Christ. I'm trusting in Christ. I follow Christ. He is my Savior and my Lord. I'm a Christian. He's the King. Life is all about him. And because of Jesus, I am a child of God. God is my Father. This is what John is introducing here in the prologue. And the rest of the Gospel of John is going to show us ministry done by different people, ministry done by John the Baptist, ministry done by Jesus himself, ministry done by the disciples under Jesus' leading, right? The whole, the whole Gospel of John is about this awesome ministry that people are doing to get people to come to Christ. And so many people don't get that because our sinfulness has blinded us. And so you preach and teach and you help people and you love people along the way to get them to understand these truths. Number one, people are not naturally children of God. And number two, people can become children of God. And finally, number three here, because we've got one verse left, verse 13 here today. God is ultimately the one that does this work. This verse 13 is an incredible verse. Look at verse 13. 
Right after he says that God gives the right to become children of God, he says, those people who did receive him, he says, they were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God made them born. God birthed them. God put the new birth in them. You know, Billy Graham made very popular what is in John chapter three, you must be born again. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus in John chapter three. You've all heard the born again talk before. It was really popular back in the day with Billy Graham's preaching. But in John chapter three, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and has all these questions. He's a Pharisee, he's a teacher of the Old Testament. And he's got all these questions about getting to heaven. And Jesus is like, dude, don't tell me you're a teacher of the law and you don't know this. He didn't know that. He was very religious. He was a good guy. He was involved in church and all sorts of stuff. He didn't know anything about life change and newness of life and new birth like Jesus describes. And so Jesus says to him, if you want to get to heaven, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus says, I never even heard about being born again. I don't even know what that means. I mean, get back in my mom's womb, which nobody actually thinks that, which means he's kind of being sarcastic or something. And Jesus is like, no, I mean, God's got to do a work in your heart. God's got to make dead you alive. He's got to make sleeping you awake. He's got to make sinful you forgiven. God's got to do something in you. And immediately after he says that is where Jesus said, it's like the wind. The wind blows and you can't see the wind. But the way you know the wind is blowing is that trees are going like this and trash is blowing across the yard, right? And God says, Jesus says, that the work that God is doing in the world is like the wind, but it is God that's doing it. And in John chapter one, verse 13, when somebody receives him, believes in his name, becomes a child of God, it's because God did that. We gotta make sure that we understand this. This is why coming to Bible study, coming to church, being in the word is so important because you'll start, you'll start trying to believe things without putting the pieces together and it doesn't make sense. And all of us have been in that boat before. I certainly find myself in that boat a lot where it's like, I'm trying to think about things without the word guiding me to understand these things. And so there's all sorts of mis, uh, disconnected pieces in the way I think about God and life and religion and faith. But when we come and we hear and we read and, we, and, we, and when we're taught, it's like, man, God's got the answers. Verse 13 is doing that. People who believe on the name of Jesus and become children of God, when that's truly happening inside of people, which it, it does and happens a lot, they are experiencing the miracle, the saving work that God does when he saves somebody. Now, here at the end of verse 13, you have three different ways that John is saying, nope, that's not the new birth, and that's not the new birth, and that's not the new birth. That'll create a whole lot of, of churchiness. That'll create a whole lot of religion. We see that a lot. That's not what I'm talking about. And it's really amazing that John would say this, but he does. The first one is not born of blood. Hey, get that out of your mind right now. This isn't that big of a deal in our culture. It is a big deal in a lot of cultures in the world. It's not in ours, but I'm gonna tell you right now. And John says it. Hey, it doesn't matter who your dad is. Doesn't matter how godly he is. No matter if your dad's a pastor, your dad's a believer, your dad's a deacon, you are still all of that stuff from point one. You still love the darkness. Your works are still evil. You still sin against God. No matter who your dad is. Now, some of y'all are going, well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that's the truth because my dad wasn't godly at all. And God became my father when I trusted in Christ and set me on a new path. Amen, hallelujah, God does that. Some of y'all love it that you found a father in God because your father did not point you to God and praise the Lord for that. But if you're one of those people that remember that your dad and your grandpa built this church or built that church or have done it all and taught you your whole life or whatever, that don't mean you're getting saved on your way to heaven. You gotta have a relationship with Jesus, not of blood. Now again, this is not some preacher here on a Sunday morning in Fairdale standing up on his high horse like hammering things. I'm, I'm just showing you right here in verse 13 what it says, not of blood. You do not get the new birth and the salvation from Jesus from some blood relationship, you don't. There's another one he says, look what it says. Nor of the will of the flesh. Now, this is gonna push all of us. There is not something that you can do to get your sins forgiven. There are people here every week that ask me about that. What can I do? 
what do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? And our answer for somebody that's wanting it to be earned is just so lackluster. It's so like disappointing to somebody that's trying to earn it. If you're good at doing things, if you're a go-getter, if you're a, 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 a to-do list type of person and every day you do all the things you do and you feel good about it, which hey, I'm all for that. It's not like that with God. You need to rest in your soul. I just, he just loves me. He just forgives me of all of my sins. He just, he just made me his child. I don't really deserve to be. I'm not good enough. I didn't earn it. He just received me. Why did he receive you? Because I believed in his name. Notice that it says right here in John 1.13, not of the will of the flesh. You didn't do it. You can't do it. You didn't earn it. No, and here's why. No amount of good works, and y'all have got a lot of good works. I know that. No amount of good works can erase your bad works. God doesn't have a scale in heaven. The will of the flesh doesn't get you there. But there's another one, nor of the will of man. This one's a little bit different. It's a little bit unique. Not really sure exactly what it means, other than that no one else can want this for you. As much as I might want my kids to love and follow Jesus, I can't get them to. As much as I may want God to do a big work here in Fairdale and South Louisville, and I want the teachers and the coaches around at our schools that we're pouring into to come to know Christ. I want the people that live on our streets. I want the new people that move into Fairdale to know, man, there's a church right here in town. We are gonna love you and serve you and help you get yourself focused. As much as we might want it for some other people around here, we can't do it. We can't do it. Nobody else can do this for you. The will of man cannot do this for you. You have to say, my sins have separated me from God. My sins are my problem, and Jesus died for me and my sins, and so I'm going to come to Christ. I'm going to repent of my sins. I'm going to have a prayer to God and ask him to forgive me. I am going to turn to Jesus. Three ways that you do not get saved. Not by blood, not by the will of flesh, not by the will of man. But in these three small words at the end of verse 13, it is outstanding, but of God. It is the testimony of every true believer throughout all the centuries. God did this to me. It is the testimony of anybody who hates their sins. God did this to me. It's the testimony of anybody who hates their sins and trusts in the living Jesus. God did this to me. It's like the wind. I can't explain it. You must be born again. The Holy Spirit does this. Regeneration is another word the Bible uses where God makes us alive. This ultimately is the work of God. Now, in closing, I want you to turn to chapter eight and watch this be played out. Jesus is in a big, long discussion, and I, I want us to just walk through this. John chapter eight, 31 to 47. Jesus is in a big, long conversation, and I know that we're about to read some 16 verses here. But everything that I've said this morning here in this little passage is about to be just worked out through a conversation with people who think they know God. John 8, starting in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, you see that? They are saying they believe him. They don't. But they're saying that they do. Watch. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Stop right there. They say they believe. They're telling about their dad, Abraham, right, that they're so connected to, okay? So there's the, there's the born of blood that, that, that John already talked us about. 
They're saying they don't, they're not enslaved to anybody or meaning anything, so our sin is not a slavery on us that's, that's causing us to love the darkness like the Bible describes. They're saying no to all of the things that, that the Bible teaches here. So they ask the question, well, why, why would you even say that we need to become free? That's what they just said. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So he says to them right there, you need the son, that's Jesus, to set you free. That's what he's saying, verse 37. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Now notice, they told Jesus back at 31 that they believed And Jesus is saying, you don't believe. My word don't even have a place in you. You don't even like my word. You don't believe my word. You don't trust my word. You don't follow my word. Verse 38, I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your fathers. Everybody see that? What Jesus is saying right there is, I got a father, and that's God. I came from him. And you've got a father, and it's not the same father. That was my first point. That's why I wanted to end with this passage. I'm hoping that even though we're past noon, that you're still tracking with me here because this is a practical story of Jesus talking to people on everything that I've tried to say here today. Jesus just brought them to point one. You don't know God. You're not his child. He's not your father. Okay, verse 39. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Now they're getting insistent. John chapter 1, verse 13, our last verse for today that we studied, John 1, 13, it says right there, not of blood. If you're still arguing about who your grandpa is or who your dad is, it's not right. They're not right in this. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. Uh Uh-oh. So now they just said, now Jesus just said, well, you're not even really Abraham's father. Now Jesus just switched to the spiritual. Physically, Abraham is their father. Spiritually, he is not. Because they say they know God and they don't know God. And so Jesus just switched it up on them and went spiritual. And then he went back and said, but you are, you are doing what your father did. He's about to crush them with some truth here. And they don't like it. So look what they say in verse 41. He says, you are doing what your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual morality. We have one father, even God. So because he said You're, you got another father, now they think that means they got multiple fathers or something like that. They took it where somewhere Jesus didn't want to go in that sexual morality stuff. That wasn't the point. And then they insert and insist again, we have one father, even God. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. Does everybody see that? Now you take that to your coffee shops, your family gatherings, your neighbor across the street, in humility and with love and kindness, there is no love for God without love for Christ. I know it's countercultural. I know it's politically incorrect. It's the absolute true word of Jesus. If you don't love Jesus, you don't love God. He's the only one that would give himself up for sinners like me and you. Does everybody see him say that to them right there? Verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Verse 44, this is where, this is probably the climax. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. 
but because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not from or of God. Jesus tells them right there, they read the Bible, they're super involved in religious work, it's not actually the church then, it's the Jewish synagogue. They claim that God's their father, they're certain that they're right because Abraham's in their family line. Jesus says you do not know God, you do not love me, your father is actually the devil. Because the works that characterize your life are the works that the devil enjoys. Number one, we are not naturally children of God. Number two, you must become a child of God. And number three, God is ultimately the one that does this work. Church, real Christianity is you and I in our brokenness needing Jesus. We are the most needy people there are, and we know it. That's why Christian people shouldn't look down on needy people. Christian people should relate to needy people. We need forgiveness. We need a savior. If you're here today and you're aware right now that you need Christ, trust in him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the prologue of John in John 1, 9 through 13. We thank you, God, for the truth that John wants us to understand about needing Jesus, receiving Jesus, and coming to him. And when we do, you make us yours. You make us your children. Father, we pray that you would cause this truth to sink down into us, settle into us. God, we pray that it would be in our hearts and on our minds, convicting us of our sins and leading us to believe. Father, we ask that you would do that work in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.